Hey there, PDX Real Estate Podcast listeners. Before we get into today's show, I've got a real quick announcement for you, and that is that my company, TTM, is still looking to buy fixers and teardowns all over the Portland metro area, even in this post-corona economy that we have going on right now. So if you have anything that comes across your desk that may not fit the retail market, we'd love to hear from you. All you got to do is go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com. There's a contact us tab, fill out the information, submit it to us, and we'll give you a call. Or if you'd like to, just call us at the office, 503-224-6200, and we'd love to chat with you about the property. Now, let's get into the show. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. Welcome. So this is the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're back this week. Uh, we've been gone for a while, but hey, it's summer, right? We got a lot of things going on, a lot of transactions, a lot of vacations, and uh, it's the three or four months a year we get sunshine. So, you know, everybody's busy. But that being said, I want to welcome back my co-host. What's going on, Steve? What's going on, Joe? Hey, hey everybody. How are you? I am. All right, I'm trying to share this thing. So hang All on. Right, bear with us, folks. We'll share it in the masters and we'll be good to go. I have it shared on my wall, so I figured that part out. Um, I'm on masters. So this is obviously the Portland Real Estate Podcast. For those of you guys that are watching on my wall, we're going to talk all things Portland real estate um, and also uh, masters of real estate. Joe's infamous group here uh, locally in Portland. And uh, we got a lot of topics to talk about, a lot of things going on. The market's been, well, everybody knows what the market's been. We don't, we don't know what the crystal wall holds for what's the future, but uh, we're definitely going to talk about it today along with a bunch of other stuff. So did we get it shared, Joe? We good to go? Uh, yeah, just verify. Uh, I shared it and I just have to go make sure it's there. Okay. Yep, I there. see it. You did. You got it. Yes. Good job, Joe. All right. Okay. All right. Three real estate Thank guys you. doing tech stuff. <laughs> nice work. Okay. Wow. All right. So we're live. We're streaming. What do we got going on today? What are we going to talk about? Should we run through? Uh, well, let's let's start with what's going on with you guys. It's, it's been a while since I've chatted with you guys. It's kind of a busy summer. What, what's happening, fellas? You know. Uh, cool. um, go ahead, Joe. You're you're at the cabin. You're on. You're 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 technically houseless. I think, other than the cabin. Actually, I have a rental house and it's full of unopened boxes. So baby step, all of our stuff is out of storage. It's all in the house in boxes. And uh, it was my birthday. I had family in town. And so we just shot up. We just, the moving guys came and dumped it. And then we shot here. So how about you? Yeah. So uh, as we were saying before we got on the air, um, my, my wife's seven months pregnant, due in oct late October, and um, a, a recent realization is that you're you're not allowed to say my wife is bigger. You're allowed to say the baby is bigger. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, there's true. there's tip number one today for our listeners. Um, been been watching a little bit of the Olympics here uh, recently. Have you got? Do you guys watch much much of the Olympics at all? 
when it's on tv yeah it's it's just on tv and i flick it on and it's like the most random it's like skateboarding or something yeah yeah it's it's kayaking i mean i didn't even know those were olympic sports it's it is it's everything it's the whole it's the whole gamut one realization i had recently you know do you ever see the gymnasts that like they're running across across the floor and then they just start doing these somersaults and jumps and and this just this crazy amazing talented stuff that's really impressive i was like i was thinking to myself i was like you know if I could do that, I wouldn't just do that at the Olympics. Like if I was at a listing and they're kind of showing me the backyard, I would probably just start running and do that and twirl about t- 10 times and go, yeah, this is pretty nice back here. <laughs> Maybe yeah, at the well, grocery store. If uh, the wife says, Hey, can you run down the milk aisle and grab us a, a gallon of milk? I'd probably do that there too. So that was one thing I took. From as the a listing agent to get listings like on every listing appointment you go in the backyard and you do some flippity doos and you know that would run around yeah. town quick but that's the guy that does the flippity do <laughs> in the backyard right yeah <laughs> why should we list with you yeah well hold my beer <laughs> <laughs> okay well let's get serious about some topics some serious okay. stuff why don't you kick off the first one joe um it was the jeff williams topic that had a yeah, lot of uh, it- Probably best if I just read it. Um, what's great about this is in the group, and I didn't know this, they have something called engagement. And uh, moving forward on our podcast, we're going to get those with the most reactions, the most comments, and the most looks. This one had 266 reactions, 94 comments, and like 3,700 people saw it. So Uh, It's Jeff Williams on uh, July 19th, um, and he says, here's a good example of the greed in this market. House is listed and has a previous sale fail. My clients liked it, so we wrote a full price offer on a Friday with a 24-hour response time, which seemed like fair game given the previous sale fail. Sellers let the offer expire without a response, and then later asked us to extend until Monday at 7 my buyers declined. Fast forward to later the following week, and they see the house is still active. We reach back out to express our continued interest and reincarnate our full price offer with another 24-hour response timeline. Sellers respond back stating that their original buyer, brackets the sale fail, was for substantially more money, and they're struggling with our measly full price offer and ask is for another day or so they, so they can think it over and talk to the original buyers that walked. My buyers declined again. Uh, the house is still active, 25 days on the market now uh, because full price is not enough. Story has a happy ending though. They just got an offer accepted on a much better home. They are thrilled. So, crazy stuff in this weird market i've seen this time and time again yeah um it's mentioned here joe do you know that the real estate agency just came out with a ruling on this pretty strict one did did, did you know that joe yeah um i was so happy to see it too it, it was awesome in the latest 
either the latest or the one before it journal by the real estate agency, the Oregon real estate agency, they said, it is our opinion that a property listed for sale must be at a price a seller is willing to take. So I think there's an argument that there's a, there's a possibility of a real, of a complaint against that agent for listing at a price their client wasn't willing to take. Um, so, I mean, end of story, right? I mean, you, you can talk, uh, you can say, talk about a lot of other things here about why this is bad or why it's greedy, but the reality is it's a real estate violation. And, um, and, but I don't think that's enforceable at all. I don't know. I don't know, but, um, yeah, it's because, so it's because there's price that's half the offer and then you have terms, the other half the offer. So you, you have a BMW and you want to sell it and you say, Joe, I'm going to give, sell it to you for $30,000. I'm like, great. And I say, I'm going to give you a dollar a month for 30,000 months, right? I'm giving you your price, but you're not going to take that deal. <laughs> There's no way. So the terms make a difference. And so even if someone comes in at full price and they have a closing that's six months away or all the other things terms can have in it, I, I, I don't think it's enforceable unless it's this crazy spread where the people deciding the fate just think, yeah, you guys really lowballed the hell out of that. And there's no way, you know, there's no way you guys thought that was the real price. I understand what you're saying, Joe. <clears throat> I do. I because there's so much more than price, but I'll tell you right now, if, if, if I had made, and, and I'm not trying to be a tattletale or, you know, a, a get, get them in trouble type of guy, but, but that said, I don't like this practice and maybe this is what it takes to fix it. Um, and I don't know that I would do this, but if someone was inclined to do it, they could do this. If you were to make an offer and this guy is full price and they've been on the market for a little while and you make a full price offer and it's rejected. If you were to go make a complaint with the real estate agency or your client was to make a complaint and attach the, attach the listing, attach the rejected offer those guys will come in and you don't want to lie to them. Okay. I mean, there's one thing about the real estate agency when they come guns blazing, <laughs> the dumbest thing you can do is start lying, right? You'll, you'll get suspended so fast if, if you, and if, so they'll come in and they'll go, Hey, there's a complaint. You got a full price offer. Why didn't your client take it? If you start making a song and dance, well, the terms weren't right. And this and this, they're going to, they're going to dig deep and you're going to get, it's not going to be comfortable at the very least. Um, so devil's advocate though here, Steve, real quick, because there's this thing called human error, right? The inability to price a property correctly, which can happen if, and again, I'm not saying this is the right way to do things. Cause I agree with you actually, in terms of like, let's try and price things as close to market as we can. I think it's just a better practice. There's less of a circus, at least on the retail side. Um, but let's say, you know, agent lists a house in Lake Oswego, right? Like I was talking to an agent yesterday, giving him some advice on a house in Lake Oswego that, you know, we could have looked at as a teardown, but I was just honest with him. I said, hey, look, it's a, it's a dated ranch on a big lot. It will sell for a lot more to an end user than it would a builder. Like just being honest, right? And let's say that individual didn't talk to me and they listed it at what they originally thought that it was worth. And let's say they get a first week offer that's like 30 grand above, right? 
And it's really just because they don't know that maybe that market, it was slightly underpriced, or maybe the market just exceeded their expectations, you know, which happens a lot right now. I, we've had conversations of like, I don't really know what a lot of stuff is worth. And I'm pretty damn good at, you know, valuing stuff. So then you get the expectations of the seller thinking, wow, we got in two days, 30 grand over. Well, maybe you missed the mark. Maybe we did underprice it a little bit. And so I think that's why it sucks for the people that wrote that offer because they're Raise like, the price. Raise the price. Raise the price. That's the that's the answer. If that deal sale fails and the seller now has in their mind, I have to get 30 grand more than asking price, raise the price. Go well, in. It never, it never happens though, right? Well, I've seen it a couple of times, actually. I take it back, but rarely does it happen. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. But but what you're not allowed to do is keep it at a price that the seller's not willing to take. I mean, that is coming straight from the real estate agency. Yeah. And it's, and and I think it is enforceable. I think it's in to your point, Joe. I just don't know how. Like if send, send the active listing of, of send a file, a complaint with a real estate agency, send up, 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 uh, uh, um, the MLS agent full with the price, send the rejected offer and say, they did not take our offer. And I, and they will open an investigation and they will start asking the agent, why wasn't that offer accepted? You, it, and, and, and to your point, Joe, if they start saying, well, it was the other terms, it's 30 days, it's cash, it's 10, you know, it's a lot of earnest money. What terms did they not like? And they can, right. they could conceivably reach out to the seller too. So, I mean, I think this, this is to hear that real estate agencies say, we don't like this practice, I think is change is a game changer. You know, in the past it was this, well, maybe you accidentally did it. And how do you prove that they won't take the price? Well, in this case, it's pretty clear that they won't take the price. Um, and, and, you know, examples always work best when you have extreme circumstances, right? I think it can be enforceable if it's a, you know, cash 30 days legit offer. But I think at this period of time, they don't have the structure in place and the systems to make it enforceable. And then there's two outs, right? The sellers are like, this is the price my realtor told me it was worth, right? And then the realtor is like, I'm not a principal of this transaction. I don't make any decisions. I can't force them to take it, browbeat them with a stick. So I don't think it's enforceable yet. But the people that practice some of the bullshit that we've seen, buy a house, remodel it, put it on for a hundred grand under market value, and then sit on it for three weeks while they have open houses and, you know, mine buyers and sellers and everything else. I think those are the people that will get flagged first. And then the commissioner will tighten up their rules and they'll sort of have a basis of what's reasonable and what's not. But I think the first case that crosses their desk, they're going to be as confused as everybody else. Quite possibly. But if there's a repeat offender and, and one person gets complained on and then again, you better believe they're going to they're going to hone in and say this is a, this you're doing this on purpose and that's the problem. So I think the repeat offenders are the ones that they really, you know, drag to the mud. It's just tough on the one off stuff because I do agree. And I feel bad for the guy that posted like your clients write a full price offer and they drag you out like that sucks. Right. Like there's no way around that. Um, but if it's like a full price offer, but it's a VA loan. And they have minimal earnest money, you know, and now we're like, well, you know, let's see if a conventional buyer comes in, you know, that's different, but that's would be an extreme, right? Uh, and, and back to, back to what I said though, Tucker, 
it's oh look it could happen innocently i list it at 500 a, a 530 offer comes my seller's like whoa my place is worth 530 that deal terminates i'm still at 500 now a 500 offer comes seller goes uh-uh i don't want this i know i can get 530 i it that could innocently happen to me what would not be innocent is to keep it at 500 at that point it's my obligation to to now raise the price i'm obviously i got to you know i got to get my seller's signatures on stuff but raise the price go okay seller let's put the price that you are willing to accept is it 530 let's go to 530 and i've seen that happen actually there was one i was looking at um in lake oswego yesterday its sale failed uh twice now and the second sale failed went back on at a higher price than it was previously this that which in hindsight in the yesteryear world of real estate two sale fails is like Ooh, not yeah. good, right? Like you, yeah. you're going down the hill, not up the hill, price wise. <laughs> and uh, they put it back on for I think ten grand more than what it was previously at. So, to your point, that might have been what they did because their seller's expectations are now higher than what the list price was. So they might have raised it up due to the fact the previous offer, the fa sale failed, was a higher number than the list price. So it, it might be happening to some extent on its own right now, based on just the rule that's been made. So yeah, yeah. So I it's coined, interesting. I coined a term. A long time ago, and I called it a uh, kiss of death, the kiss of death and the kiss of death definition is you have a brand new listing. You're telling the sellers your your house should be priced here. And the sellers are like, hey, we put in all new light bulbs. So we want it priced here <laughs> at this 50 grand higher. You go on the market. Someone here out of town from Idaho, California, wherever. They see the house, they love it. They're only here for the weekend. They come in with fire, just this crazy over the top offer. It goes three days and then they kill the deal, right? So that's the kiss of death because now you're here at let's say 600,000. They make you start at 650. They get 710 and now the seller's thinking, I sold my house for 710. I mean, it didn't close, but I sold it. So, you know, their vernacular, the terms they're using, I sold it for 710 and that's mm -hmm. their new benchmark. If we always revise our price to that, then we're going to have some horrible inventory for a long time. Only no, if I get that. I get doesn't that. Doesn't yeah. meet market value. Yeah. There's, it definitely requires conversations with your clients, right? Um, are you know, that could have been a one-off situation with that offer. Um, I, I don't think it behooves us to assume that is the amount you're going to get moving forward. There was no other offers at that, right? And those people are now gone. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting time. I think what's new now and, and wasn't around in the past, this practice has been around for a long time underprice on purpose. What's new now is the entity that that governs over our licenses has said that is not okay. And and to your point, both of your points. I mean, I think most of our listeners agree. You never want the the, the real estate agency sniffing around your 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 desk and your files. It's never comfortable. Yeah. Even if they slap your hand and say, you know, you, you didn't do anything wrong, it's not enforceable. That experience is very uncomfortable. So I hope that it deters this deliberately underpricing what a seller will not take. I think we can wrap up with there. Let's, uh, okay. let's move on to the next one.
Um, so we're gonna we're gonna pick on my buddy Brian Belairs for a little while. <laughs> uh, we've given Brian a lot of love on the show, so I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Brian and I, just so you guys know, Brian was at my house for a little poolside barbecue last weekend. Um, so me and Brian are really good. Uh, great guy. 99.99%. We see completely eye to eye on all things real estate related. And, and you know, this happened. Oh, that's not right. And he's a little hung up on something this time. And I, uh, I think, I think he's a little in the wrong and he's not, and he's not, he's not coming clean on it. So, and it has to do with escalation clauses. Now that's my opinion. I'm curious your guys' opinion. So let me read it here. I've got it printed out. <clears throat> this was just posted this week, I think. And it's an interesting conversation because this is the reason, in my opinion, this is the reason why a lot of agents don't like escalation clauses. Thoughts on the following situation that happened. Buyer A submits offer of 725, escalating by 5,000 over the best offer to a max of 805. Buyer B submits offer of 735, escalating by 5,000 over the best offer to 810. Both offers ask for redacted proof. He says, I call this dueling escalation clauses. My specific questions are, in your opinion, what is the winning price between the two offers? Seller's agent sends an acceptance of buyer B's offer, did not send a counter, and adds a redacted copy of A's offer. Also included is an addendum saying, per the agreement, price to be 810. In your opinion, is that this situation, was the listing agent correct that the price was 810 or was it 735? Should the listing agent hire an attorney? Or the buyer, I mean, he might mean, should the buyer's agent hire an attorney? Um, Tucker, what's your take? You sell, you're a professional home seller. Do you, um, do you like escalation clauses? Do you, do you tell your people, go send them to us, don't send them to us? And then, and then go into this scenario more specifically. To be honest, this scenario confuses me a little bit because there's a lot of moving parts. So I'll give you my take on the escalation clauses and you guys can break down like the who's and the how's and the what should have happened here. Um, okay. I personally don't love them um, because it's hard for me as a seller to really qualify the best buyer. Um, I feel like it's kind of an out and I, and I know Randy's been on Facebook and he said that they don't, they don't do escalation clauses um, because they just want to see who basically wants the house the most straight out. Right. Um, as opposed to kind of jockeying against another one with an escalation clause and they don't really know how much they're going to pay, but they'll pay whatever five grand above market basically is what they're saying. So for me, I know they're a great uh, tactic to get a house for your client as a buyer's agent or as a buyer. But I just don't like them because I can't read through the, I can't see through the lines in terms of how good of a buyer we're actually choosing. It's harder for me to kind of de delineate that. And so for that reason, I just don't really care for them. Um, and to be honest, we don't get that many in the higher price points. Um, we usually get people that just come straight at it. Like, what do you want? okay, I'll give it to you. You know, there's, there's a lot less of that kind of back and forth negotiation than I found in the, in the lower price points. Um, so that just, you know, might be something that, you know, we're not, we don't deal with too much. So I don't know. I don't love them, but in this case, I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are on who should have won out and who was right, who was wrong. Cause it's kind of messy a little bit. Yeah. Let me, let me explain it real quick. So, the, so the escalation clauses have the 
the initial offer amount. And then they say, or we'll go up to this amount by X, which in this case was 5,000 over, um, assuming there's another offer that we need to go over. Okay. And so Brian's, and there was two doing this. Brian's saying his argument is the real offers are 725, are the introductory offers, the 725 and the 735. So he's feeling, and, and I'm pretty sh- confident, he doesn't say it, but I'm pretty confident he was representing buyer B here. <laughs> he's saying we should get the house for 735 because that was our initial offer and it was the highest initial offer. We should, we should, um, we should, no one should pay attention to the escalations because there was no true offer higher. If that is the case, and that is how escalation clauses work, throw them out the door, no one use them, they're garbage, okay? Because every deal will get seven offers with seven escalation clauses at asking price or really close to it. And with with all this fuzz up here that you can never access, right? Because because he's because he's saying the escalation itself doesn't trigger the other escalation, only the initial amount. And again, this is where escalation clauses get a bad rap. I think there's value in escalation clauses. Generally, they're they're more buyer friendly, but they kind of, I in my opinion, they kind of they find the win-win situation, which is, look, I love this place. I'm willing to pay this if I have to. And if someone else is fighting me for it, but, but here's where I'm starting. Okay. In your, to your point, I mean, I get why sellers like you and Randy don't like them because you want there to be five offers and five of them are down here. And then there's just this crazy one up here and you want that one, Right. The escalation clause kind of allows somebody who maybe was willing to do that to still be down here just above the other offers. Um, now, as, as a buyer's agent, it's a little easier to, to help your clients understand and appreciate that. We're not going to grossly overpay for this house. We're simply going to pay more than anyone else is willing. But um, the, the, most of the people on this thread agree with me from what I could say, understand that escalation clauses do trigger each other, the escalation component, because buyer A is saying, I will pay 805, assuming there's somebody else willing to pay 800. Well, buyer B is saying, I'll pay 800. Heck, I'll even pay 810 if needed. So they now are triggering A to go up to 805, which now triggers them to go to 810. And that's that to me is an equitable situation. We allowed the escalation clauses and they served a good purpose. Nobody grossly overpaid. The market was speaking and it was saying this house is probably worth around 805, 810 because you have two offers right there. Um. So what's your take on this, Joe? I mean, are you, are you, have you been following this one a little bit? Yeah. So the, the very nature of uh, escalation clause is I will beat any other legitimate offer by 
such an escalation in this case, $5,000. So you go in whatever you go in and the escalations play off of each other. Kind of like when you hold a mirror in front of a mirror and then you're basically looking at who has the highest cap. So um, I have a couple asterisks to add to this, but I think the 810 would be the, you, you just look at the caps at that point. If you have more than one escalation, you go straight to the cap and, and you look at it. You have to look at you know the buyer's qualifications and down payment and all the other things, but you go straight to the cap. What I don't like about uh, escalation clauses are a lot of things. Um, number one, when you have multiple offers, <clears throat> the seller's response is only going to be a counter. You can't have acceptance at the seller end, right? Um, and, and I don't like that. I don't want to escalate it, counter back, send it to them, and then wait around while I have all these offers circling for that response. So I want the buck to stop when the offer comes to us. That's why highest and best is great. The other thing is people don't need to see the other offers. I'm not going to sit there and black line the agent and, and the buyer's name. And at the bottom of the sale agreement, it says this, this offer belongs to so-and-so. I'm not going to block out all that stuff and, and put 50 black bars there so I can send it back so they can see what it is. Uh, matter of fact, you don't even have to abide by the escalation whatsoever. You can just counter whatever you want. You know, maybe the, the highest other offer was 735 and the other one was 725. You can counter whoever you want, whatever you want. Uh, it just depends if you want to abide by their escalation rules. The other thing I don't like about escalations is a lot of brokers don't take an account for concessions. You have an offer for 800 clean you have another offer for 810 that they want $10,000 of closing costs. So you go to this guy and say, okay, you're at 815. When in reality, it was the same net to the seller. One's 800, one's 810. And they're like, oh, well, they said in their thing. Now it's 815. We have verbiage that talks about that in our escalations. And, um, that's what it is. It's, it's a really dumb concept because uh, highest and best people come in swinging where if this deal went to somebody else for a hundred bucks more, that buyer has no regrets, right? This is my highest and best. I have no regrets. Even if we lost it by a hundred bucks, I was not willing to go any higher. The escalation is we're going to dip our toe in the pool and then let the escalation do the work for us. And maybe we get off a little bit cheaper, right? Because no one wants to win a deal by 150 grand. They want to beat the next guy by like a couple hundred bucks. And sometimes playing safe doesn't get you the house. Can I tell you the value of an escalation clause? Let me give the pro of an escalation clause that I see. Let's, let's say this listing agent had said no escalation clauses. And so one comes in at 810 and let's just say the other came in at 725. Okay. Buyer's remorse. I worry that there's buyer's remorse for the guy that just offered 810. He has no idea what the other offer is. He knows he's 90 grand over asking price 
And he's like, holy smokes, did I just did I just throw away 80 grand or 90 grand? And the reality is he did. Escalation clause gives validity to the fact that, hey, you know what? You said you'd pay this much over the, the next offer. Here's that other offer. There's people that are right there nipping on your heels, wanting this house for exactly or very close to what you want it for. And so now that that solidifies the deal a little bit. And he's like, okay, I'm getting... I'm getting fair market value for this house. And by the way, that guy's nipping on my heels. He wants the house too. So I better play nice and, and close, right? That's the value I think an escalation clause brings versus what you prefer, Tucker, in, which is just blind, you know, highest and best. And I'm not saying I'm against highest and best, but if, if there's an argument for escalation clauses, I think that would be it. And I get it. I understand the logic and but I got to argue on my side of the fence, right? Which is obviously I want to try and maximize the value of the asset that I'm selling most of the time. And the buyers want to minimize their spend most of the time, right? So I, I get their use. I think they're, they have value. Um, I just think he's in a messy situation. I'm curious, how did it get to 800 if the initial offers were 725, 735 though? Did they just keep saying, I'll go higher, oh, I'll go higher, I'll go higher? The escalation, uh, That's so what the, one, the one offer goes up five grand and the other escalation says, we'll beat the best offer on the table by five grand. So it goes up five grand and that goes up five grand all the way to their max. So they play off of each other. All they just the way kept going back max. and forth all the way to that? Well, <clears throat> not... It's unwritten. Not literally, but not literally, but it's, the, it's unwritten. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. that's, that's the question. That's the million dollar question Brian is asking is do two escalation clauses that both say they'll go to this number, do they duel each other and take it up to that number? And I, my answer and my belief is yes. And so was a lot of other people's. Brian is trying to say, no, there wasn't a real offer at that amount. So they, nothing should take trigger mine to go to that amount. But the reality, and this is why I'm, I disagree with that, is then what the hell were you doing? What was your offer? Like, what's the hey, point I'm, of an escalation if it doesn't, if that wasn't a real bona fide offer saying we will give 810 as long as someone else is willing to give, you know, 805, if that wasn't real and there, the other 805 escalation wasn't really a, a bona fide offer, then why are you using escalation clauses? They're not real then. Yeah, I agree. So um, one other, hey, one other question, Joe. You were, you were bringing up the, um, the challenges of escalation clauses. And I agree with you. There are challenges. Um, seller concessions is a real one. The other one that, and I'm not, I'm not trying to poo-poo escalation clauses. I think they're valuable. I think they have a place. I don't think, you know. The other one that I've always wondered about is just a fake offer. Have you ever have you ever heard of that or or thought about that? I mean, so so houses for sale, and maybe they get one, maybe they get a couple offers, and they're all close to asking price, but there's an escalation way up here. So then they call up their 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 cousin Ricardo and go, "Hey, make an offer of my house up here." <laughs> I've never heard of that happening, and and I think it I, I I'm. I doubt it does, but it's, it's a possibility, right? Steve, I need an offer next week. Um, <laughs> one of our houses just, uh, just up this. Uh, I'm sure it's yeah. happened. I mean, somewhere, somehow, Yeah, yeah. but at, to defend that ridiculous situation, just a little bit is that 
at the end of the day, the buyer still has to be willing to pay the number, right? Like there, there's a conscious decision of yes, no. And sometimes in this market, buyers are willing to pay more than what a home is worth because they want the house. They think they're going to be there for 10 years. There's any number of factors that they're overpaying for an asset and they full well know that, right? So, you know, at the end of the day, they still have to say yes to that number is my opinion. Yeah. I think in Brian's, um, I think trying to understand from Brian's standpoint, I think he is a little bit hung up on the fact that it was the max. It's coincidentally the max. It, if his max had been 850, they still would be at 810, right? If, if, if buyer B's max had said, well, uh, we'll do 5,000 over up to 850, this still would have been 810. It wouldn't have gone to 850. I think he's he or his client or both are going, well, we showed our hand that we're willing to do 810. And all of a sudden they're coming back with an addendum saying you're at 810. And I think they're getting hung up on that. It just was coincidentally their max. Um, so that's my thoughts there. But we've we've covered this quite a bit. Let's move on. Let's do it. Um, Joe, this was yours, and it was a it was one, it was a really good one. It was uh, believe it or not, in all the years of, of masters, I don't know if I remember seeing this, but, and I didn't get a chance to post, but I'll share a couple of mine. What is one real estate lesson you had to learn the hard way? And there was great a question. lot of great stuff here, Joe. Do you want to talk I about didn't, that? I didn't write a comment myself. I just, I thought of the question. I thought, what a great question. And yeah, I never even really thought about it. I'm sure I have like hundreds of them. Here's a tip uh, for everybody on that. Efficient. Uh, social media event. If you want the most engagement possible, just ask a question <laughs> and there yeah. you go. Work. But that's a, it's a good question, Joe. So I'll give you the floor. What are, what are some of yours, Tucker? Um, I'll tell you one that I've learned over the years. I would way rather overpay for a great piece of property than get a great deal on a shitty piece of property. It's, it's good advice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll tell you, I've, I've learned a couple things the hard way. Um, I'm in, a, in, in, on the real estate agent side of things. Um, and I, I'm, a, I'm slightly embarrassed about one of them, but it, it's a real story. And, um, you know, I, I learned a valuable lesson. So I wasn't, uh, I didn't fully understand that once you, uh, once you, um, compete on a listing and somebody else gets the listing, you, you, you can't reach out to that person ever again. Right. The, and that's an ethics law. That's an ethics, uh, situation. I had, I had competed with somebody for a listing and I really wanted it like, like I usually do. And like most people usually do. <laughs> and I thought I was getting it and then I didn't get it. And it went on the market for way higher on price. And I knew that was why I didn't get it. And it sat and sat and sat. And so one day I just sent a, 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 a quick email to the seller and go, Hey, you know, I, I, and it was, it was, it wasn't snarky, but it was, you know, it was, it was inappropriate in hindsight. Right. And that seller sent that email to the agent who then sent it to my reviewing broker. And I got in a lot of trouble and I learned a, whoa, you know, no ethics complaint happened. It went away, but that was a, a really valuable lesson. And ever since then, um, I, you know, I, I, I've long ago learned that is there's a, you know, there's a walled off garden. Once, once somebody is working with somebody else, you can never communicate with them again. I mean, you know, they, on that, I told you so email, right? Like, 
I told you it wouldn't sell. It was basically the, an I told you so email. Yeah. That's the same way with withdrawals. And there are so many people, so many realtors walking around out there that don't know that withdrawn is the same thing. It's an active contract. You cannot contact that seller to solicit them. It's withdrawn from RMLS, but it's still a valid contract. And until it expires or is canceled. And like, if you have to withdraw a listing because you're getting the floors redone or something, and they just get blown up by people who don't know that. Um, mm -hmm. Kind of the same thing. It's really good for people to know because that is a big no-no. Because the listing agent eventually will know and they will be pissed and they will want your head on a stick. Yeah. Another one I learned early, early on that wasn't on my radar um, is you can't have in your file, and this wasn't on here, you can't have in your file repairs that were requested that aren't being addressed. You, so in other words, one of my, one of my early transactions, we get a repair in them and they go, we want, you know, we want the roof fixed. We want this done. We want this done. We want this done. And we countered and said, we won't do this one. We won't do this one, but we will do this one. And then we take that we, we put it in the file and guess who ends up with that, Tucker? <laughs> yeah. The, right. the lender. And guess what the lender wants? We want all this stuff fixed. Now that you, you all agreed there's problems, but you're not fixing them all then. And so I, I, I made that mistake once. It was a big painful one, but never. Yeah, we learned that one right. one time. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. when people in the transaction that we're party to do it, you just want to reach through the phone and strangle them when they do it. But they learn too. Which um, yeah, Zach Duncan made a comment here, and uh, I want to kind of give him a little bit of love here. But uh, he uh, said, you know, on the realtor side, you guys have all these kind of barriers to prevent, um, you know, let's say people from soliciting your clients when they're your clients, right? On the lender side, what he said is that basically there are no rules. It's dog eat dog. You can reach out to people whenever to try and woo them away with, you know, whether it be ridiculous terms or less, you know, fees or whatever it is. So you're, you're fighting tooth and nail on that side of the business to retain and get clients all the time. So I feel his pain there because he posted that. Well, and that's what, the, and, and I, and you and I came from the, from the mortgage side, Tucker, when you, the, and, and, and let me just be the first to say, I love that about being a realtor. I love the, the code of ethics. Um, and, and how it protects our relationship with our clients. It's, it's one of the best things that our association has done for us, you know, 100 plus years ago. Because in the mortgage world, there was no code of ethics. So literally, Tucker, you remember, you'd be doing a purchase or a refi and you'd be on day 28 about to send docs out and somebody's cold calling them going, I can beat that rate. I can do this. I can do that. And there's no rules about it, which I think is why when I got into the real estate side, I, I just wasn't looking for, I didn't realize that it was so strict on this side of things. Um, yeah, no, that was, that's a, that's a, that's a great comment. And it's in, I, I've, I've learned to appreciate that tremendously that once we have a client, there aren't other agents allowed to interfere and, you know, sow seeds of doubt, or criticize directly with the client. I, I there will was say some... this to one more thing. So, you know, we do a lot of marketing, Steve. You know, everything that we bought for the last 
decade has been off market for the most part, whether it be by agent, you know, connecting us with seller. Most of the time it's us directly connecting with sellers. And we have, we've built an entire database of let's call it investment grade property, right? That we market to. And so sometimes it's possible because we don't know all these people that they have a um, relationship with an agent that they're going to use at some point to list it, or the agent has just now solidified that relationship and they're going to list it. And they're like, oh, hey, TTM sent me this, you know, marketing piece. And then the agent calls us up and is super pissed off that we're trying to steal their client. We're not trying to steal your client. We're just simply doing what we do to market. So I've, I've had a lot of conversations over the years with overheated agents that are think that yeah. we're trying to steal their client away from them. And that's not the intent at all. So people are definitely sensitive to that on the realtor side of the business, I think, which you found out obviously with the told you so email, but yeah, that is what yeah. It is. Yeah, there was just tons of great feedback here. A lot of it was about making sure stuff's in writing. I liked the one where she said, um, fridge in the house stays. And <laughs> they they took the nice one out of the kitchen and put the crappy one in the garage there. <laughs> so yeah. she she's learned to always put as seen, you know, as seen, yeah. correct as seen on this day or in the yeah. kitchen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, also, one, it's uh, it's the selling agents. Well, it's it's both agents responsibility to verify absolutely everything. So you identify refrigerator and kitchen, range and kitchen, all that other stuff. So they don't leave you that avocado green, rusty thing that's been in the garage forever. Um, and, and don't say all appliances stay. A curling iron is, a, is an appliance. A toaster is an appliance. So mm -hmm. let's, let's verify and get specific on everything. And then people think I'm nuts. When I walk through a house with buyers, I'm like grabbing the mirrors and I'm like jiggling them. I'm grabbing the bookcase. I'm jiggling those. They're like, what the hell are you doing? And I'm like, I just want to know if this is a fixture. Like if you come in here and this has happened before, you come in and there's a beautiful framed mirrors in the bathroom. And then on closing, you go in there and they're like, where the hell are these mirrors? Well, it was hung like a picture. So they took them. Guess who's buying mirrors? <laughs> you yeah. are. Yeah. So yeah, that happens. Verify um, everything. It's a little bush league to not let the other side know that there's certain things that they're taking because it's not in the offer and just have it disappear, I think. But you know, not everybody operates the way I guess I would. There was a few good comments about money stuff. Um, one was don't ever count the money until <laughs> it's in the bank, which is a good one, right? I mean, we've all seen deals die in the end, especially when you're a newer agent, that's that, you know, you, and you, and those funds are so important because you're just trying to build up your pipeline and. Oh God, those days, those early days, you remember Steve, where oh. like you're waiting for the it funded call and you're like, oh, yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Oh my you're, gosh. You're looking at your ATM receipt and you're like, I, I got X amount of dollars in there. It's like, this thing's got to close this month. But those are good old days though, too. I mean, it's a fun ride to, to progress from there too but yeah those, those were it makes you appreciate once you're more established for yeah, sure definitely does. the other one that was interesting was um taxes right i think that gets a lot of newer agents too and because you get in the business and your 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 office just hands you the entire check or puts it in your bank account you're like whoa okay yeah i could i could work with that and and it's not until you know the the tax man comes knocking that you you realize that 
you've got some problems. Yeah, yeah. And I would argue a lot of agents probably need to learn more about how to minimize their taxes because I think there's probably a ton that overpay. But yeah, taxes are, when you enter the world of 1099 or self-employed, you really need to understand tax implications and, and everything because it's a, it can bite you and it can end up, uh, you know, you're paying the IRS for a while. Make that problem. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, I think we touched on this one pretty nicely. Let's uh, let's okay. move on. Um, the next one was mine. Um, parties. Yeah. Parties. So let me read that. Were you watching read like it. million dollar listing or something? Is that what spurred this? I was competing on a listing and there and the other agent had told them how great their party was going to be and all that it was going to do. And I was just like, gosh, is that how you really think you're going to sell this house? Can we dispel a myth? And once and for all on here, parties for agents don't sell houses. They can be fun, but they don't sell them. There is a difference. We Wait all agree that- One sec, one sec. So parties is not like parties to a transaction. It's like events. It's like events. fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I didn't understand that when I first read like it. Balloons so. and, you know, confetti. Yeah. Champagne, and champagne, highlight. And- yeah, and and people juggling fire, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. You've been watching Million Dollar Listing, so you know what I'm talking about. Um, and and uh, it says we all agree that there's a lot of crap on the real estate reality shows that don't really work that way in real life. In my opinion, this is one. In this day and age, the best practice of selling a home is not needing needing to first actually visit it to fall in love. Successful sales begin by taking the home to the people wherever they are and making them fall in love there. We now have the technology to do this. Sending the home to them and not asking them to come to it applies to both agents and their clients. With that same technology, you can and will hit both. I think it's also worth mentioning that my experience in real estate is is that it's rare where I am able to talk a buyer into buying a house they didn't really already like. So what am I going to see at a house that is going to miraculously inspire a sale that wouldn't have first been triggered by the simple listing of the home in the most effective way. That methodical sending of the home to the buyer in a manner that allows them to see me and me, their agent and them see it remotely should trigger us equally to want to visit the home. I would love to hear differing opinions on this. Um, the one thing I wanted to, I do want to clear one thing up um, and I'm going to find this, this post here in a second. I'd, I'm not anti-parties. I, I hope I, I probably should have done a better job of, of making that clear. I'm not anti. I do see some value in, in you know, people. there was several comments about the buzz it creates. There was also a lot of comments about the social interaction. And I mentioned the so, social interaction. I said there, I said, you know, they can be fun, but they don't sell the house, right? And I'm not anti that social interaction. So I'm not anti-party. But what I what I what I was trying to make the point of is those agents and million dollar real estate million dollar listings. What's what's the darn show's name? Million dollar listing. Yeah, million dollar million million dollar listings. They make it so that that, that is the big marketing. That is the thing that's gonna sell the house. You know. You know, oh, we'll do photos, we'll do a video, but here's what's going to sell the house, and 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 they they spend the entire show planning the party, and they have people um, juggling, you know, fire sticks, and they bring in some, you mermaids know, and whatever else, mermaids. <laughs> they have a theme, and um, 
And, and I, I'm just not buying that that is how you sell a house. I mean, if you actually play it out, like let's, let's assume there's, there's a house and they have this great party. And let's just assume for, for the sake of this argument that it does draw a lot of people, which is a whole nother issue. Because I think a lot of these parties, they plan, very few agents come. And the ones who are coming aren't probably the busiest agents, right? They're probably ones that aren't doing a ton of business, who have more free time on their hands and are looking for something to do, right? But let's assume for the sake of this that good agents do come, okay? Maybe I go, maybe some of you go, Joe, maybe some other great agents go. What are we going to do at that party and see and, and how is that going to turn into a transaction? So do I walk around the house and go, wow, this is a great house. Buyer X, it's perfect for them. Let me call them and describe it to them and kick them in the pants and get them here, okay? It, it just seems archaic in our day that, that somehow I'm gonna voice to them what they need to see. I mean, why weren't they going to see that already by it being listed? right? That's, and that's where I was going with the second part of this question of my post is me liking a house doesn't directly translate into a, a sale. The buyer needs to like the house. Okay. So even if I go to the house and I'm wowed, I, my, my, my buyer, I, that I'm never going to be able to talk that buyer into buying it if they don't equally like it or more. Right. So I just think, I think it's a lot of smoke and mirrors. I think some of it is driven by the reality shows on TV where they see that much, that much um, emphasis on these parties and they think that that must be how they have to do it. Potentially, I would even say their clients are seeing that on TV and their clients might think that's how you do it and they're feeding into that. But I, I think we can all agree that that isn't what sells houses. Now, buzz, yeah, okay, you could bring some people to the house and, and they like it. And, you know, and I, I, I think there's valuable feedback from them. Like if you can throw a party and you get some good agents and they're walking around, they're like, yeah, no, your price seems about right. You're, I like this, I like this. I'm like, okay, I see some value in that. So I'm not anti-party, but- I don't think for a second that that party is what's going to directly correlate to the successful listing of that house and the sale of it. Um, and then the last thing I want to say, they're poorly attended. They are poorly attended. Very rarely, unless it's a super special property, very rarely are you going to get high levels of attendance consistently at all, all your parties. So I think there's just a lot of wasted energy and money by these listing agents who are going um, completely for this. I do believe in open houses and I actually like the idea of combined events. You know, if you have a nice listing, you want to get it some exposure to some agents, but maybe also the public, then do some kind of event where you invite both. Um, and, you know, it's called an open house, but maybe you do it, you know, maybe you do it at a twilight, but you invite the public as well. Um, maybe that buyer is going to come to it. Um, I think, you know, those are some thoughts I have. And, and, and Tucker, you do some parties and, and they're fun. So I'm not poo-pooing them. I like going to them. I like seeing the houses at times. I, I just came to your gorgeous property in Lake Oswego overlooking the lake. My gosh. I, mean, I would never have been house. able to. They, so to your point, 
you know, we don't do them to sell the house because, well, both times they've been sold. But the, <laughs> so to your point, um, we do it for brand awareness. Um, you know, that's kind of our thing. We, we, you know, we've put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into these properties, but they're also for very special properties, right? Like if, if we had a, you know, we're renovating a ranch on Pilkington, it's going to be a sweet ranch, but I'm not going to throw a party there. Right. Um, so like, I think there's a certain level of house that even for us on like the, the branding side, like we just, why would we do it? Right. And, you know, everybody thinks their house is special. Let's be honest. There's, you know, there's only a, a small subset of houses in the Portland metro area that are even worthy of probably a party because of, you know, how amazing they are. Um, so, so I don't know. That's my thoughts on it. I don't think that they necessarily sell anything, but they can be used for branding purposes. And maybe the agents think like it gives them a leg up, right? In terms of getting the listing, they say they're going to do this thing. Sellers don't know what the hell sells their house most of the time. So it's kind of frills that they throw in and, you know, it's just part of their brand and their aura. And, you know, a lot of that is, you know, happens in your side of the business. So I don't think they really sell anything. I think it's just kind of a, you know, hey, look at me. We do the, hey, look at me thing because, you know, it's really an awesome house and we want people to see it, but we wouldn't do it to sell the house or, or feel like that would sell the house. Mm -hmm. And let me, let me put it real specifically. If this is the marketing that one is going to do on that great listing, I'm okay with, with the agent saying, you know, 10% of that is going to be this party. What I'm, what I don't like is when 90% of the, when, when they're 90% of their listing presentation is I'm going to have this great party. That's, what's going to sell this house. We're going to get all the realtors here. They're going to run around, tell all their clients. That's, that's what I'm disagreeing with. I think it's, I think it's great to have it be part of a broader campaign where one of the, one of the many things I'm going to do for you is have an event and get realtors here. That's I'm totally good with that. And I have no objections or disagreements with that. And I think it's fun. And I think, I think it could create a buzz, but when, when agents are competing and that's 95% of what they're talking about is this party and, and the, the, the juggling fire sticks and the, the, you know, the Ferraris we're going to put in the driveway and, and, and that's going to get this thing sold. Man, well, here's an example. I'm calling really BS on that. We did street of dreams, right. In 2013. Biggest party you could possibly throw that year, right? Yeah, they had like yeah. eighty thousand plus people through it. It was an amazing location. Um, that's why we did it. The Street of Dreams didn't sell the house. Exactly. <laughs> we Good sold point. it two months later after the party was over to yeah. uh, somebody that came in, and so who hadn't been fun. to the Street of Dreams? Had they been to the Street of Dreams? Uh, no, no. Yeah. So, okay. um, good so example. There you go. Yeah, there, there you go. go. No, great example. Street of Dreams is the ultimate party, right? And we've all sat, seen homes that later sat after the Street of Dreams. Now, I'm sure there's maybe a story or two or many where they also sold at the Street of Dreams. But the likelihood that you or I are going to ever throw a party as big as the Street of Dreams is zero, right? I mean, that is the ultimate party. So, um, yeah. Joe, you've been quiet. Do you have any thoughts here? You know, it's a it's a TV show, right? So you're in Malibu and you have a six point five million dollar home, uh, and the and the higher you go up in price, the more particular your sellers are. Like, I can only show my house on Tuesdays and Thursdays every other week, right? So we all know it's going to be the same fifty brokers that has a buyer for that house, right? So in that market. 
throw a party, get everybody in so they know the house intimately. They're going to know of the house whether you have a party or not. Um, I think it's more important that if you did have a party, when you get brilliant people together, like magic happens. I have this one coming up over here. I got this one that has a tennis court. I have this one that has an indoor pool. Like it's not going to sell that particular house, but I'm not saying it's not without any value whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in their market, in their market, maybe you have one day where the sellers are gone and you just get all the players in and then they can sell it to all the pro tennis players and the pro whoever, you know, race car drivers and stuff like that. But yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's for TV, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it is for TV. Thank you. Yeah. And they're just like in, in on those shows. I mean, they never have anything in writing. Have you ever noticed everything's on the phone? And because do you know why? Can, can you imagine somebody sitting at their desk and going, I just sent an email with an offer. I mean, obviously that wouldn't be good TV. So that's, that's a big part of it as well. And, Doctor, and uh, all those shows are, you know, they're highly produced and, and they create scenes and just like you would with a movie. Right. I mean, the, yeah, the underlying yeah. storyline is how real estate sort of flows, but it's for entertainment purposes. It's and it's and, and they hone in on the things that are visual because it's TV. It has to be. Yeah. Good point, Joe. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. So the greater, the greater conversation here is also about broker tours. Right. And I think we're seeing a waning of that. There was a time when they were a lot more popular and they, I think they served a lot more value, but now with the technology we have, the videos, the, 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 the tours, 3d, I just, I don't know that it's the most efficient thing for people to go one at a time to a house when they could sit at their desk and consume 20 in the, in the, in half the time or a fraction of the time. So, um, speaking of street of dreams, let's move on. And this was Joe's post. And I, I liked it because it lets us talk about this year's street of dreams. I'm assuming neither of you have been there yet, right? Not yet. I didn't make it this year. Yeah. So Joe asked, and I was actually surprised by the comments, Joe. Were you? Full disclosure, I'm not knocking container homes. <laughs> I'm just, I'm inspiring thought, right? Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, I was, your question was, do you think a container home belongs to the Street of Dreams? And yeah. um, my initial thought was, yeah, that does seem weird, but everybody was pro for it. Go for it. Talk about it, Joe. Well, I mean, look, everyone has a dream, right? A container home is a dream for someone, an ADU for someone else, a geodesic dome is a dream for somebody. Um, I don't necessarily think it belongs in the street of dreams because how the street of dreams was presented to us, the very first one is this is the street of the American dream, the five bedroom, three and a half bath, four car garage on an acre with a pool. And that's how it was presented to us. And that was where all the contractors and vendors got to showcase their stuff, their fireplace, the carpet, the tile, the, the island, the you know pot filler above the stove so you don't have to carry a heavy pot full of water. Um, I don't necessarily think this fits in the street of dreams, because there are other programs. There's like Street of Affordable Homes. There's the remodeling show. There's all these other labels that I think it would be better fit in. 
unless it was an ADU or sort of a little arts and crafts house behind a Street of Dreams house. But I don't think, hey, let's go to the Street of Dreams to a container home. The way the Street of Dreams has been presented to me, I, I, don't, I don't think it fits. Mm -hmm. It's like if you go to a car show where it's Ferraris and Lamborghinis, you don't want to see a Ford Fiesta, right? You really don't. I'm not crapping on container homes. I'm not. I'm just but he saying, is crapping on Ford Fiestas. I'm, I'm just, just saying, <laughs> you're not in the same stable, right? <laughs> um, and I think the way that the Street of Dreams has always been presented, the best of the best of everything, you know, from builders to materials to everything, um, I think container homes are great options. I would love to have one as a little guy town or you know man cave or something just adu whatever you want i think they're cool but to be a standalone in the street of the dreams i just think it 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 doesn't jive for me yeah did i see you, your point did you see, I see your it point. Steve? i guess that's i didn't one. i didn't but you know you know how block party is tucker i mean yeah i, I barely got drinking into before you know it you forget to look at the house and stuff <laughs> And, and every time you turn around, you see somebody you haven't seen since the last block party. Right. right. <laughs> um, and so, you, uh, so I barely saw the two really bona fide good homes. I, I think there's only two really legit homes that are street of dreams caliber this year, which I guess maybe that makes the argument. Okay. Let's fill, let's throw in some filler stuff. That's kind of cool. And maybe the other argument is, Hey, you know, yeah, we could put this at the home show, but a lot of people don't go to the home show. Everybody comes to the street of dreams. Well, especially so. now, right? I mean, yeah. it's been a weird year. I know they wanted to do the show because last year was a bust just with Rona and all that. So I don't know. I, I, I know they had issues getting supplies. Like there was a lot of like appliances that weren't even in and things like that from what I was told. Um, so I think they were just trying to do the best they could with what they had this year, which, you know, on a kind of a tight timeline and limited land to pick from and limited builders to use. So, well, if you know. think about it, if you think about it, I mean, they were building these homes during times where they weren't confident there was going to be a street of dreams. I mean, it wasn't until May that Oregon started opening up. Right. So there was these so it's, I don't think we should be surprised that there's not seven gorgeous homes with seven builders that started building them in September of 2020 during the height of COVID going, I hope next summer's better. Um, I'm actually, if you think of it that way, you're kind of actually surprised that there's anything, right? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have signed on to build in the Street of Dreams this year. Yeah, I mean, I'll yeah. probably never sign on again, but I for sure <laughs> wouldn't have signed on this year. And it's not a knock on that. It's just I heard Randy say that once and then he built a few years later. Yeah, so well, I, you can quote me on that one. Um, I, you know, I checked the box. It was a great experience for us, but it's just a taxing experience, right? And so to do it this year with uncertainty on top of it, I applaud the builders that did it and just put the show together. but. I agree with you, Joe. I think that container homes are a, a thing that are going to happen more as the cost of construction continues to increase. And it's just kind of a more, uh, what's called affordable option. So, you know, maybe you have a street of affordable homes, right? And you have like maybe a 3D printed house and you have a container home and you have these other kind of options for the, the layman to purchase, right? And, and to solve our kind of quote unquote affordability challenges. So 
I think that's a better place for it, but they probably just wanted to put a spotlight on it. And so that's why it was there. Oh yeah. And look, nothing against them uh, up at the mountain. They have a Steiner cabin tour where you get to go through all these rustic homes. They had a mini house tour. So I, I go to all of these. And if there was a container tour, I would go to that too. So my only, the only part of that question that doesn't work is in the street of dreams as a, mm-hmm. as a standalone it's it's not how street of dreams was presented i understand with rona and no materials and skyrocket prices and i mean no contiguous land that big where you could build something and then i don't know very many builders that wanted to jump in with this so much uncertainty so i, I think they're doing what they can and you can't have a street of dreams with only a couple houses, right? You need to have mm-hmm. six mm-hmm. or seven. And, and I think it's a great option for the people putting it on to put something on, but I don't think it belongs there under normal circumstances. My, my guess is, and I, this is, um, I have no, no knowledge behind the scenes, but my guess is the builder. And I think it was just one builder that built both the homes in it. He was just building them and maybe he had a buyer, maybe he didn't. I don't know. But he 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 was just building them to build them. And with a caveat, like, hey, if the Street of Dreams can happen, they can be here, right? Like he was going to build them anyway versus the traditional Street of Dreams where, you know, it's this big, um, you know, they're building for the Street of Dreams and only and that's the, the only reason they're building it. Um question i don't why is realtor day like two weeks later does anyone know did you know that joe it's kind of a it's the night, usually yeah usually a block party then you have opening weekend and then real realtor day is that monday right this year it's like the following monday which is bizarre like most usually it makes the realtors feel special like okay let us get in there first so that we when our clients are talking about it we've seen it it's i i didn't understand that this year i I'd love somebody to explain why that was the case. Well, it doesn't seem to make sense. We'll have to send him a, an email. Although Ezra doesn't work there anymore, so I can't hit him up and find out why. But we'll, we'll see. But I, I think that, yeah, obviously you should get there sooner than later if you want to go there. But, you know. Are you guys going to go? Uh, I always go. Yeah. It's yeah. not always on free, free day either, you know. Yeah. But you will make it there, Joe, this year? Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Tucker? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll make it. I, I like to check them out every year. But, um, yeah. yeah, at some point I'll get there for sure. Yeah. No, the, the and and uh the houses that are there one of them particularly was very nice. Really cool pool. Just it was it was a cool house. I, I was I enjoyed looking at it. Um okay, let's uh let's move on. Hey, I we got had a, a question. I got a 10 minute cut here so we got to okay. whatever we got here. So. Okay, we'll go quick. We've only got two more things. Um this was a question from Amber Mathiason. When you posted that we were doing this today at 9:30, she you said, give us your questions to talk about. This mm-hmm. was a great one. The market seems to be shifting. What are your predictions for what to expect for the next couple months? Wow. 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I'll go real quick. I'll go real okay. quick. Yeah. We, had, we had a buyer meeting on Tuesday where my team, we we're talking about the buyers. We have an escrow. Three of the deals that have been put into escrow in the last week have concessions and or price reductions or um, reductions off of asking price. And these are normal priced homes. 
not, you know, I'm not talking about multi-million dollar homes. These are homes in the, you know, six to 900,000 range, three of them. That's different, right? I mean, I, I, I noticed that and I was like, wow, something's different here that we're actually getting closing costs built into offers. We're actually getting one of them's 20,000 under asking price. So yes, something, I, I'm not saying the market is bad, but something's definitely a little different than it was four months ago. I, I tend to agree. I think it's very segmented though, from what I've seen. Um, there are still certain houses that are closing over um, totally. and there's certain houses that are closing under or that have price reductions. Um, so I think we're seeing kind of a, you know, a splintering of the market, which happens as things normalize, right? Like the, the A plus stuff, um, you know, or the stuff that fills a price point and a size in a certain neighborhood is still getting bid up or going over. Like, you know, I scan uh, like a go every morning and everything that's new that's on. I'm like, that one will get multiples and go over. That one's going to sit for a while. I don't know. Maybe they get that price. Maybe they don't, but it's not universally like it's going to have 10 offers and go over. So I think we're just normalizing. And you made a comment, Steve, about, you know, seasonality is coming yeah. back to real estate. And I, and I agree with that as well. Yep. Yep. There was no seasons for a year there. Right. Like, heck <laughs> yeah. we had, we had fire season. <laughs> we had like fire season. Like we last September, there was fires nearby burning and smoke in the air. And we had the worst air quality in the world and houses were still flying, right? I mean, that's how crazy the market was for a year. But now finally, we're starting to feel like, oh, this is when people are vacationing. This is a, you know, it's July 4th. People are, are gone. And you, you're just sensing that, that seasonality is coming back. Last Christmas, we didn't feel the, the normal slowdown that you would have felt. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely different. Okay. Anything to add, Joe? I agree. There's a slowing, especially higher market. And, you know, the rule of Fight Club, never talk about Fight Club. Uh, what you see now is realtors coming out with all kinds of excuses. Uh, well, everyone's camping. It's the last week before school starts. And whatever is happening in the market, they have an explanation for it. And we're still fire strong and crazy. Um, but you can tell the shift is happening. Yep. Last question. And then we'll let you out of here, Tucker. Um, Harmony Roadman, new agent here. Great question, by the way. And I, I, one that I don't remember seeing in the past, and it's such a good question. New agent here, gener generally curious, how honest should feedback on showing time be? And I think this could be any type of feedback, by the way. It doesn't have to be showing time. I don't want to come off rude, but I also want to be informative enough to be helpful. Thanks in advance. Joe? You got to be honest. If someone is asking for your honest feedback, don't bullshit them. Give them your honest feedback. The person asking the question should respect your honest feedback and not come at you like you just said their kid's ugly. Um, <laughs> so... You know, so we shouldn't look at the pictures on the walls and then tell, say, we don't like the house because your kid's ugly. <laughs> that's right. And, and maybe, you know, there's two ways to say the same thing. Maybe, you know, soften that part of it, but street's too busy. It's overpriced. It needs new carpet, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Be honest. I agree. I agree. Um, there was a lot, a general consensus that you need to be honest. Now, one thing I didn't agree with, some people were saying you should only give actionable feedback. 
Okay. Actionable meaning things you can address. Maybe that's the price. Maybe it's like, Hey, your windows are dirty and they run around and clean the windows. I don't agree with that. To your point, Joe, I mean, a busy road is not actionable. And I think they need to know that that, that was the detriment for that buyer. It will help them. It will help both the seller and the agent understand the challenge they have. And, you know, when, when, when something's it is not actionable action though, lower the price. Yeah. Yeah. Lower the price. Yeah. Price fixes everything. Price cures all ills. The, um, there was another thing that was valuable on this, um, on this post. Oh, the, the crap sandwich. I like the crap sandwich. You know what a crap sandwich is, Joe? It's where you give a, uh, tell me. You, it's where you give a compliment. Then you give them the crap and then you give them another compliment. <laughs> we do that a lot of times. I've taught my team a lot of times if we're going in with an offer and we're going to be under asking price, we, we try to explain it in a crap sandwich where we go, you know, our, our clients love the home. They, 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 they envision this, this, and this, that said, you know, a couple challenges with a property that they're willing to take on, but have to deal with is blah, 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 blah. Um, that, but, but we, but we, but we do love it and we want to make an offer and we think we can make something work, right? That's a crap sandwich. Well, you could do that here too. If you, if you see a house that is horrific and there's some really bad stuff, maybe, you know, give them that crap, but maybe start with a nice little positive and end with a nice little positive and have the crap in the middle. Like a That's Disney a movie. Sandwich. Yeah. Oh, high, low, high. Yeah. I like Over. it. I like it. Good. Hey, that's a good All right, Tucker. Joke right there. I, I, you I, got a hard, hard stop. So I got a hard stop. Guys. I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to Detroit Lake today. So uh, I'm going to go do some camping and I got to get out of town. But uh, great show, great topics. Thanks for everybody uh, listening. And um, we'll do it again soon, right, guys? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Okay. See you guys. Oh, all right. Thanks, guys. Thanks see for ya. watching. We'll see you on the next one. Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.